Gentlemen, good morning. This is a privilege to be here, as always. I was uh, there. Yes, there is a meeting next week, but not not on Good Friday. So next, yes. So we will meet on uh, next week, um, and I think even the week after that. But Good Friday, whenever Good Friday is, check your liturgical calendars. And there is no men's breakfast on Good Friday. Um, I'm grateful to be here, just grateful that we can be together, uh, spending time in the Word. But first, an order of business, uh, matter of business that we have to cover, and that is that yesterday was a very exciting day, because it was opening day for Major League Baseball, unless you count the game that was played by the Mariners and another team in Tokyo last week, which is strange. But uh, for me, it was a special day because the New York Mets played the Washington Nationals and won the game. And that is, that's always exciting for me. Any Mets fans out there? <laughs> they won. All right. <laughs> okay. But here's, here's what made the day even more special is that last night, so later in the same day, the University of Virginia men's basketball team played a late game and, and, and won the game. And I was very excited. That's right, Billy. And I was excited because, guys, I, I began to think, when was the last time that Virginia's men's basketball team and the New York Mets won on the same day? And I, I don't know that it's ever happened because of the way that the Final Four and the NCAA tournament is aligned, and Virginia hasn't been that far in a long time. And so I was excited to realize that for the first time in my life, my college basketball team and my professional baseball team won on the same day. And then I realized it actually didn't happen because the Virginia game ended at like 12.30 this morning. So technically it was today and not yesterday. But for anyone that cares, Virginia will play Saturday night. And even if they had lost last night, I would still be here. I would still have, I hope, the same amount of joy and excitement to be with you. That's right. Um, so I want to take you back to a moment in history. Dan, you mentioned uh, our country and I think of Veterans Day, which is obviously a very special day to recognize those men and women who have served. And on Veterans Day of 1999, I was uh, living in Arlington, Virginia, and I was a federal employee and I had the day off from work. Very grateful that we have that day off from work to recognize and honor those who have served our country. And I went out to my car, which was parked on the street in the area of Arlington where I lived with my, my roommate Dave. And I, I approached my car and I was shocked. It was one of those, those feelings of shock where your stomach, just you feel like you have a pit in your stomach. And I looked and I saw that my passenger side window was shattered. And I looked in my car and the glass was on the seat and uh, the, the radio CD player had been torn out of the car and the box of CDs that I had in the car had been removed from the car. I was so upset. I was so, so frustrated and angry. And I began to think, how, how could this have happened? How could someone have robbed me and broken into my car? And then I thought, wait a minute. Of course it makes sense that someone would do this. I know that this is not the best area of town. I know that the removable faceplate on my CD player, do you remember when you used to have those guys? You used to be able to take the faceplate off of your CD player in your car and then you could put it in a pouch and hide it or lock it in your glove compartment. I know anyone, does anybody, am I crazy? Do you, okay, all right, thank you. I, I had left the faceplate on. I had left a box of CDs in the back seat, which I know 
for some CDs, who cares? But back then, 20 years ago, those were valuable. So someone came and they saw valuables in my car in clear and plain sight. It made sense that they would break into my car. The bottom line is I was unprepared for the arrival of that thief. And that leads us to what we want to talk about today in the book of First Thessalonians. As we begin coming close to the end of this book, we've been reminding ourselves that First Thessalonians is our call to wait well for Christ's return. How are, what are you waiting for and how are you waiting for it? I believe that unlike me, back in 1999, I was unprepared for the unexpected visitor who would pay some close attention and time in my car overnight. I believe that that is a reminder that God wants us to be prepared for a day that is coming. So for a brief review, we have this map. These maps are excellent. I keep getting great feedback on these maps. This is the Aegean Sea. This is Paul's second missionary journey as he traversed this Ignatian Way. And tucked up here in the thermal gulf of the Aegean Sea is the, the city, the ancient city of Thessalonica. And Paul and Silas and Timothy wrote to these young Christians to encourage them because they were experiencing persecution. And Wes White, our missions pastor, there you are, brother, he pointed out a good, uh, something that was important to keep in mind. Because of the persecution that they were experiencing, a lot of these Thessalonians were likely martyred for their faith. They were likely killed for their testimony in Jesus in the young stages of this church. And that's, that's another reason why, as we looked at our passage last week about those who had fallen asleep, those who had died in Christ... Not only had they died from natural causes or old age, but many of them had most likely died from being persecuted for the faith. And we know that that same persecution happens today. And so this is why this book is a timeless message written by the Spirit to encourage believers in the ancient world as well as us as believers today. And we talked about how uh, the second coming of Christ will be involved in uh, there will be an important uh, series of events. Christ will appear. There will be a resurrection of the dead. And then a rapture of the living. And then the fullness of Christ's return sometime after that. So while as last week the message was on in the encouragement for those who had died. This week we focus more on the exhortations to us who are alive. At the second coming of Christ. So that we might be prepared. And that is because I believe waiting well requires spiritual sobriety. Spiritual sobriety. And we will be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I will start actually in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, and then read through chapter 5, verse 11. So let's read together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, this was a message of hope, a message of encouragement. The coming of Christ was meant not to instill fear, but to instill faith and hope in the lives of Christians in Thessalonica and in our lives today. Encourage one another with these words. Now, chapter 5. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, 
for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. What an encouraging word. Let's unpack that a little bit. First, let's be reminded that the return of Christ is a major teaching of the New Testament. We said that last week. We also pointed out from the chapel statement of faith the very last tenet of our core of the essentials of our, uh, of our church's teaching and the doctrine of the church from the beginning of the church is that we believe in the bodily second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to claim his own and to set all things in order. So we'll take a little bit of a deeper dive into this return of Christ and let's see what we can learn from the reality of his return. The first point is this. Christ's return will be sudden and inescapable. And we see this in the first three verses. Paul and Silas and Timothy talked about times and seasons. This is the same language that's used by Jesus when his disciples ask him in Acts chapter 1, Lord, are you now going to restore your kingdom? And Jesus says, you have no need to be worried about times and seasons. Those are really two words that, while distinct, are referring to the same event, the future event and events surrounding Christ's return, which is true of Jesus' usage of it in Acts chapter 1. And the Thessalonians had been previously instructed about the return of Christ. So Paul and Silas and Timothy say, you don't really need a lot of additional instruction about it, but they go on lovingly to remind them of what they have been told already. As they say, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This concept of the day of the Lord is a, is a theologically rich and loaded phrase. This is a phrase that's found throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, often it is called the day of the Lord or the Lord's day. In the New Testament, it's sometimes called the day of the Lord Jesus Christ or the day of Christ. But the day of the Lord refers to the future day of God's perfect judgment... ...upon the earth for sin, establishing perfect justice and setting his kingdom right again. Perfect judgment as well as perfect justice. So there is, in a sense, a judgment but a blessing that is experienced through this day of the Lord. Some, and I would be in this position, would equate the day of the Lord to the description of this tribulation period... ...that we talked about last week regarding the rapture... The tribulation that I believe is described throughout the chapters of Revelation 6 through 19. And while some have a different theological perspective on how to interpret that book, that's the view I hold, that that is actually a, a, a strong and descriptive expansion of what the day of the Lord is. Great, perfect judgment, establishing perfect justice. 
But one way or the other, however you define the day of the Lord and however you define the tribulation period, the day of the Lord refers to the return or the second coming to Christ of Christ to earth. The Old and New Testaments are almost too many to count. I do have a few here to uh, draw our attention to. The first is from Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. This is a book that I'm spending my, my personal quiet time in right now, the book of Ezekiel. And, and I need some of you to help me understand it. It is, it is complicated. Uh, but this verse really is clear. For the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Indeed, this day, this perfect justice being carried out, this perfect judgment being carried out. We also have in Joel, the book of Joel, one of the minor prophets, 1.15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. We see this, um, I'm going a little off script here, so I may be on, on thin ice. I don't think so theologically, but the day of the Lord throughout the Old Testament would refer to specific days that took place in history where God's judgment would show and where his justice would be established amidst his covenant people, Israel. There were times when God's, the day of the Lord was when the, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken by the nation of Assyria. And then when the southern kingdom of Judah in 583 BC was, uh, 586 BC was conquered by the Babylonian Empire and taken into exile. Those were historic days of the Lord where God's judgment and justice were met when his people sinned and needed correction. But this grand day of the Lord that even the Old Testament prophets looked ultimately forward towards, and the New Testament does as well, refers to the return of Christ where God's judgment will be perfect upon the earth for sin and God's justice on behalf of his people will be perfect as well. Now what's interesting is this will be a surprising day as the authors here tell us. They say the day will come like a thief in the night. Just like that thief came in the night, the night before Veterans Day of 1999 and removed items from my car. So this day will be a surprise. It will be a hostile surprise to many. The word thief here is kleptes, where we get our English word kleptomaniac. Someone who is, is committed to the art of stealing and the crime of stealing. And this is language that is consistent even what we see in the New Testament from the letter of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away and with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Again, perfect justice and perfect, or perfect judgment and perfect justice accomplished on this day. This day will be a surprise to many and the text says, they will not escape. The strongest way to negate a verb in the Greek language is used here. They will not escape. There is no way they will escape. And guys, what I find interesting as I, as I observe the text, and, and we see this even in the English. For the first two verses of this chapter, Paul, Silas, and Timothy use the second person plural pronoun, and you and you. You have no need. You yourselves are fully aware. In verse 3... The person shifts from second person plural to third person plural. If you notice this, while people are saying sudden destruction will come upon them and they will not escape. And then we'll get to verse 4 where they shift back to you. So 
it does see, they do seem to draw a distinction between the Christians at Thessalonica and the rest of the world. I would say that would expand to Christians anywhere and everywhere and the rest of the world. We have no need and no reason to be surprised by this day. And it will be a terrible day. But those who are apart from Christ will be shocked and in horrific awe by this day. We, however, should not be surprised, but we should be, the text tells us, prepared. We should be prepared. This day will come like the birth pangs of a woman in labor. Now we know what that process is like for those of us whose wives have had children, and God bless our wives. I, I just, it's beyond me. I'm so grateful that God did not create me as a man to birth a child. And those of us who have been present with our wives when they have given birth to our children, I have been fortunate to be there for all four of my children's births. Um, for the first three, my wife was able to enjoy the wonders of modern medicine and science in the form of an epidural. Um, when our final, uh, our fourth son, or our fourth child, our third son was born in 2013, and this was a situation, I, I don't know when you have enough kids, maybe it's sort of like your body just knows what to do. And it seems like when we had our daughter in 2005, and then our son in 2007, and then in 2009, another one in 2013, it seems like the responsive time for my wife's body got faster. And so the, the intent to get to the hospital was even more important because this is going to happen anytime soon. So we get to the fourth kid, and I don't know, maybe it's like the, the lane is greased and things are just ready to go, but... But we got to the hospital, and I could see on the faces of the doctor and the nurses and the, the, those attending to my wife, I could see that it was not going to, we were not going to be able to administer, they were not going to be able to administer the epidural to her because it, the, the pregnancy, the delivery, everything was, was too far along for that even to take uh, and have effect. And... And I saw this, guys, and I, I could see this before my wife because obviously she's focused on the pain and getting through this. And in that moment when she asked, could I have the epidural? No, it's too late. So, um, so God bless my wife. She, she did it the old-fashioned way. And yes, increased pain in childbearing from Genesis 3 was a very real, real reality for our family on that day. And... Um, all I can say is that for a while, if you could just imagine fingers embedded into your forearm, that was her epidural for that day. It was my forearm. And for a while, honestly, months later, I still had these, these uh, indentations in my forearm as she gripped and squeezed. And eventually, with much pain, but at the end, much joy, our uh, son, Spencer, was born. That is what this day will be like. And it will come, and it will be painful. But again, while some will be surprised, gentlemen, we should not be surprised. We should live a prepared life, which is our second point. Christ's return requires spiritual sobriety. Spiritual sobriety. And hopefully that is uh, intentional enough and, and clear enough by what I mean. But let's unpack that a little bit. You see... Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't pull any punches with the Thessalonians. They began using language which would have communicated so clearly to them. And their language still communicates to us today. Because they say that 
our identity as followers and believers in Jesus Christ is to be those who are identified with the light. The word light here is photos, where we get our words photography. We are to be identified with the light and the day. We are not to be identified and defined by the night and by darkness. They clearly say that we are not to sleep, but we are to keep awake and be sober. We are children of the light and children of the day. Those that sleep, sleep at night, verse 7 says. And those who get drunk, they are drunk at night. This was typical of, of the ancient world. It's typical of our world today. We get, we get it. That is typically when people sleep. That's typically when people will get drunk, even though that could happen at any point of the day. But this is setting up a real distinction between those who are completely unaware and completely unprepared versus those of us who are in Christ who are to be aware and who are to be prepared because our identity is distinct from those who do not know Christ. We should be prepared. Our identity is described as children of the day in the words of Colossians 1.13, which are rich. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, night, drunkenness, so to speak, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what makes us children of the day and of the light. We are not blind, we have sight, and we should be prepared. We should not be asleep. Now this is a slightly different word that's used from the previous chapter when Paul and Silas and Timothy talked about those who had fallen asleep, i.e. those who had died. This refers to a, a, a grogginess or a lethargy, spiritually speaking. Instead, we are to be awake. Now this term awake is an interesting one. In the Greek, it's gregoreo. Do we have any, any guys here named Greg? Anyone named Greg? Can you believe that? Almost 100 dudes, no one named Greg. If you know someone named Greg, maybe you have a friend, you should tell him, say, hey, your name means alert, awake, and maybe you'll make his day. Gregoreo, where we get Gregory, means awake or alert. That is how we are to live. And the scriptures do tell us that we are to be prepared. Coming uh, this from Jesus' Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 42 through 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, whether to his house or to his car, <laughs> um, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." While we do not know when, we are still to be prepared. Secondly, from Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is the one who stays awake. That same word, Gregoreo. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. The idea of stay girded, stay ready for the return of Christ. We are not to sleepwalk and stumble through this life, gentlemen. We are to be spiritually awake and sober. So what does that mean? Spiritual sobriety requires preparation, as we read in verses 8 and following. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith 
and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Throughout the New Testament, we get this rich language like a warrior putting on armor for battle. We see this language in Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, de- in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and take the helmet of salvation and the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We are not to be passive in our preparation. It is a duty to be Waiting actively and preparedly. This is not like waiting in a doctor's office where all you have to do is sit and wait. This is actually a very active exercise. This passage from Romans 13 shares a similar truth with similar language. Besides this, you know, uh, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We put on the armor of light because we are children of the light. We are not children of darkness and night. We are engaged in a battle, gentlemen. A battle requires preparation. Athletes train constantly. Soldiers train constantly. Christians must train constantly. It is our duty. So how do we prepare for Christ's return? How do we prepare for the parousia, the return of Christ? We see this from verse 8. We prepare by having a growing faith expressed through love, rooted in the hope of our salvation. These are similar words that were used at the very beginning of this epistle. This hope, this faith, this love, this hope, this trifecta, where they write that we remember before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked a number of weeks ago about how waiting while has almost three dimensions, past, present, and future. Our past is our faith rooted in who Christ is And our faith in him. The present is uh, our love. Our love for one another and our love for God. And then our hope is that future aspect. That future dimension. And the hope and being motivated by the return of Christ. To experience the eternal life that is ours. How are we doing this? How are you doing this? Are you preparing well? Are you growing in uh, an abiding faith relationship with God. That leads you to love him. And to love one another. And to love the lost. Are you engaged in the spiritual disciplines of time in his word, time in prayer, time in community? Specifically here at the chapel, are you connecting? Are you growing? Are you serving? When we engage in those disciplines, which are active, not passive, we are engaging in the life that he wants us to be engaged in. And the great promise that we have from this passage is that we have salvation because he has not destined us for wrath but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, I came across one of the most beautiful definitions of salvation from F.F. Bruce, a scholar whose commentary I've been reading as we've been going through this this series. 
I thought this summarizes the full scope of God's salvation so perfectly. It was one of the most beautiful paragraphs about salvation I have read in recent memory. Where Bruce writes, The term salvation seems to be used by Paul to include all the blessings of the gospel, present life in Christ and future life with Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit, maintaining the former and guaranteeing the latter, redemption from the mastery of sin, justification by faith, adoption into God's family, progressive conformity to the character of Christ, preservation from the end time, wrath, and the hope of glory. Guys, what a gift of grace that this would be ours in Christ. And I was so moved by the reality of verse 10, which reads that Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, in other words, whether we are alive or have died, that we might live with him. And I had to pause last night and just go, what, that, that, he, he died so that I might not just live, but live with him for eternity? Sinful? Worthless me, now a child of the light, a child of the day, a child of God, so that I might live with him? It blew me away, and I was reminded of a, of a small, simple poem, which I think helps me as I think about it. He, he lived for you. He died for you. He lived again that you might too. And again, not that we might just live, but we might live with him. We are to be watchful. We are to be prepared. We are to be spiritually sober as we prepare for his return. And remember, the return of Christ is not a moment. It is, of course, a moment, a moment in, in the future. But it's not simply a moment. It's the man, the man himself. We look to him and his appearing. And that's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy can conclude, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. These are encouraging words indeed. And guys, I want to give you just some time at the table uh, to discuss for a few minutes these questions, however many you might get to. Ask yourselves, you know, what thoughts come to mind when you think about the day of the Lord? How can we be best prepared for the return of Christ? And do you know someone who needs to be encouraged with the news of his coming? Take some time, and then I will come up and close us in prayer in just a few minutes.